we're in the middle of a conversation that we're calling Full Circle. And uh, in this conversation, we are just taking a couple of weeks to revisit who we are and who we've been called to be as a church. And so if you're a guest, maybe visiting, what a great time to get a sense of the pulse, the heartbeat of who we are as a church, who we are as a movement. And for those of you who call Mission Point home, what a great opportunity for us to revisit what we believe God has called us to and just ask, God, are we still being faithful to the calling that you've lent to us and giving us the opportunity to to steward? And um, so we wanted to talk about this together. And... um, We as a church, Mission Point Community Church, exists to show and share the love of Jesus. Where we live, where we work, where we learn, where we play. We believe we've been called as a movement to show and share the love of Jesus Christ. And we believe that this community will be transformed as a transformed community shows and shares the love of That transformed us. And so we want to get better at saying yes to this thing that we've been called to by our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we want to talk over these weeks. We're trying to wrestle through what it looks like to practically live out showing and sharing the love of Jesus. So it doesn't become one of those things that just sits on our stationery, but we don't actually live it out. We don't want this to be a thing we just talk about, but don't practice, don't get better at. And so part of why we want to revisit this, this conversation. And uh, in order to do that, we are coming back to the heart of the whole thing, coming back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you have a copy of the Bible, you can meet me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to start reading at verse number 16. And we're going to read that section of scripture that goes all the way through verse 21. This is Paul describing the story of the gospel's impact on a community and what that looks like in terms of its, its calling. So um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 16. Here's what Paul says. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. And this is, this is our story. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in the person of Jesus Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has now called us, he's now committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's representatives, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So we accept and we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then here's the gospel in summary. This is our journey, our story. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, verse 21, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become The righteousness of God. The gospel. We exist to show and share the love of Jesus Christ. By the way, whether or not you are part of Mission Point Community Church, we believe you exist to show and share the love of Jesus Christ. The reason he awakened you this morning is because there is still a role for you to play as a representative, as an ambassador of the gospel love of Jesus Christ in the world around you. This is not something that we read as unique for Mission Point. This is the story and the calling Of the follower of Jesus Christ. All rooted in the glorious gospel. Um, 
And this is the gospel. It starts by talking about our, our sin. Our sin. Because whether you know it or not, whether you realize it or not, we are all sinners in the sight of God. Right? In, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, the first human beings staged a rebellion against God. They sinned against the holy God of the universe, their creator. And unfortunately, as our representative foreparents, their sin affected and infected the entire human gene pool from that point forward. And so every single person born conceived of a man and a woman becomes contaminated, infected by this incurable disease called sin. That is true about you. That's true about me. That is true about your family and your friends and your coworkers and the people you go to school with. In the eyes of God, we are all contaminated by sin by virtue of the fact that we are born humans. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Eve. But this is the reality for us. Um, But we're not just born as sinners. We don't just have this disease called sin. We are sinners who choose to sin. It's not just the disease of sin we carry. We will always choose to express the symptoms of Sin, regardless of who you are, you are a sinner who is inevitably going to choose to sin against a holy God. It's part of what it means to be humans in a broken world. And you know it's true. Uh, oftentimes, we, uh, I'll hear people say, like, the church talking about sin, and that's not cool. That doesn't apply to everybody. Maybe it applies to some people, but not. No. If you are a human being, you carry the sin disease, and you will express that in the symptoms of choosing to sin, and you know it's true. Um, and that's what I always say to, to my friends who, you know, pose this argument. Like, no, you... You know it's true. And if you don't think it's true, well, let's all just, let's, let's do a no sin November challenge. Let's just see how that goes. Okay? You are not allowed to break or violate any of God's rules for the month of November. We wouldn't make it an hour. And that's being super Super generous. But if you don't believe it, try it. No lying. Don't lie. No lustful thought. Don't at any point feel like you're better than somebody else. No, we can't even keep our own rules, our our own resolutions, let alone to keep the holy standard of perfection that God has given to us. No, We are all sinners who will inevitably choose to sin. And um, you also know it because you didn't have to teach your kid how to say mine. You never pulled your child aside and coached them in how to lie. No, they were infected with a disease of sin and choose to sin. It is who we are. But the terrifying truth is that every sin, every choice to sin is an act of treason against a holy God and against his empire. And therefore, every single sin carries the death sentence. Romans 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. This is our story, y'all. It doesn't matter how big or small you consider the sin to be. It carries an eternal death sentence. Every lie, every act of greed, every lack of generosity, every whisper of gossip carries an eternal death sentence in the presence of God. If you have ever sinned, 
And because you carry the sin gene, you have sinned, then you carry the eternal death sentence that God will carry out when you die. And by the way, the biblical definition of death is a permanent separation from God and eternal suffering in a lake of fire called hell. It is a bleak, bleak Story. In fact, it is so terrifying a story that it is so tempting for us um, as a church to avoid talking about it because of how uncomfortable it is. But silence will do nothing to change the sentence that every person born into this world carries. This is hard, but this is true about every person that you work with. It's true about your family. It's true about your friends. It's true about the people that you go to school with, that they are guilty of being sinners who have sinned and carry the sentence of separation from God and suffering forever. Um, But... We exist as a church because the story doesn't end there. This is the gospel that we exist to show and share. This is the good news that we exist to show and share. But please hear me. If we are not broken sinners who choose to sin and carry an eternal death sentence in the presence of God, this is not good news. It's just nice. But the gospel is good news. And Paul summarizes it this way at the end of this section of scripture we just read. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin because he was not contaminated by the sin disease on account of the fact that he was not conceived by a man and a woman. And somehow in 33 years of his existence, not once did he choose to sin and to act in defiance of God. And it says God made him, Jesus, who was sinless. He had no sin, but he made him to be sin for us who had sinned so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. God. Woo! He says in verse 8 of Romans chapter 5, he puts it this way. But God demonstrates, this is the gospel, his love for sinful, broken people. In this, while we were still sinners, while we were still contaminated by the sin disease, and while we were still choosing to manifest its symptoms by sinning against a holy God. He says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel. God didn't wait for us to fix ourselves. God didn't wait for us to figure it out. God didn't wait for us to do an about face and and decide like, okay, now we're going to change our course and somehow we're going to figure out a way to clean out the disease and somehow we're going to figure out a way to stop sinning and attain to his standard of perfection. God didn't wait on us. No, This is so incredible. He saw us in our sinful state, making sinful choices, and he loved us so much that he came running after us in his sinless son, Jesus. That's the gospel. And and on the cross, Jesus became our substitute. On the cross, Jesus made a declaration to sinful people. I'll take your sin, even though I have never sinned. And I'll accept your eternal sentence, even though I deserve no judgment. And I'll experience your separation from God. And I'll experience your eternal suffering on the cross, even though I am completely innocent. And in exchange, because I'll trade places with you, and in exchange, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get my righteousness. You're going to get my peace. You're going to have my freedom. You can have my privileges. You can have my blessing. You can have my name. You can have my heavenly and eternal home. 
in that great trade of the gospel on the cross, which is what Paul means when he says in verse 17, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has trusted Jesus, if anyone has accepted this great trade that Jesus offers to make, if anyone has said yes to that, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Woo! The gospel is good. The gospel is so good. The new is here. Wait a minute. I thought that I carried a sin disease on account of the sin gene that came down from our four parents, Adam and Eve. Yeah, but now you're new. But I thought that I, I, I was a sinner who was condemned by, by God with this eternal sentence hanging over me. Yeah, but now you're new. The old, that was the old you. The minute any of us believes Jesus and accepts his substitution, we are transformed. We are made new. You may not feel it, but God says it. You may not see it, but when God looks at you, that is all he sees. New, forgiven, righteous on account of the person of Jesus Christ. Woo! Set free, blessed, made whole. That's what God sees when he looks at you now. You are new because Jesus became like me on the cross. I became like him. In fact, I'm going to give you a second. If you're a follower of the person of Jesus Christ, go ahead and, and declare it so the devil can hear it. I am new. Some of you weren't expecting that, so I'm going to give you one more chance. Come on, let's declare that. I am new. Amen. Friend of God, forgiven, free, no condemnation, no judgment. I'm new. Just because you can't see it. Even when you can't see it, it's working because I'm new. But while we're reveling in the, the, the newness and, and the work of the gospel in us, Paul wants to make sure we don't forget something. Verse 18, the very next verse, he says, Oh, reminder, all this is from God. He reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Like we said last week, if you were here, we ought to be the most humble people on the planet. How can we not be if we know that we were contaminated by a sin disease that we could not clean, we could not fix, that we were sinners condemned to an eternal sentence of separation from God and suffering forever, and there was nothing we could do to remedy that. And yet in the midst of our sin, God sent Jesus to step down and step into our place. We should be the most humble of all people on the planet because I am transformed and it had nothing to do with me. Paul says, all this is from God. I was born a sinner, prone to sin, carrying a sentence that I could not pay for. Jesus subbed in. What did I do? Nothing. What could I possibly take credit for in the story of my transformation? Paul says, oh, oh no, nothing. All of this is from God. He says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For it is by grace, praise God, that you have been saved. You have been forgiven. You have been transformed. You've been made new through faith. And even that is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by anything you have done so that no one can boast. Oh, we can praise, but we cannot boast. Because while we were still sinners, 
God dispatched the person of Jesus Christ and he died in our place. All this is from God. Nothing I did to deserve it. There was nothing I did to earn it. Transformed by grace. Please hear that. Church, please hear that. And please believe that. That is crucial to how we live the mission of representing Jesus as his ambassadors. All of this is from God. If you are saved, you are saved completely by grace. Please hear that. It is nothing to do with your potential. God did not look at you and see something so promising in you that he just had to have his son die on your behalf. It had nothing to do with your potential. Let me get a little more theological. It had nothing to do with God's foreknowledge. God didn't look at you and say like, hmm, as I look down the path, I can see that they are one day going to just pull it together. They're going to figure it out and they're going to start living up to my standard of perfection. So based on what I can see, they're going to choose at some point in the future, I'm going to send Jesus to die for them. It had nothing to do with that. It had nothing to do with the degree of your sinfulness. Come on, somebody. God didn't look at you and say, well, yeah, but you know what? Compared to the terrorist and the rapist, though, their sin isn't quite bad. So, therefore, based on the fact that they're a minimal offender, I'm going to send Jesus. It had nothing to do with you. All this is from God. The cause of love was not in you. The cause of love was in him. All of this is from God. Otherwise, you'd have a reason to boast. As it is, there isn't one. And then, the reason the church exists. Verse 18. All this is from God, he says, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's where we come in. The mission. That God, verse 19, was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he, God, has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, this is who we are, church. We are therefore Christ's representatives. We are Christ's mouthpieces. We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Full circle. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God the way we were reconciled to God. The moment I'm transformed by Jesus, I become an agent of transformation. That's what the church is. We are transformed agents of transformation, called to carry the only hope for a sinful world that is living under the sentence of a holy God. Announcing to the world, hey, God is in the business of foregoing sentences. Jesus is in the business of substituting, stepping in, and trading places for sinful people. God is saying, listen, what I've done for you, I'm now calling you to go and offer to Others offer this news to other people. And by the way, that's what the gospel is. I love one preacher who said the gospel ain't advice. It's news. That's such a great statement. The gospel is not good advice. The gospel is good news. Advice is what you tell people they need to do. Do this. And what did y'all do to be transformed? All this is from God. The gospel is just an announcement. Jesus Christ has done everything possible. 
For you to experience transformation, to be made new and to be made righteous in the eyes of God. He has done everything. We're just telling you the news. We just report the news. That is our role. That is our calling. Um, Okay, believe it or not. um, This is what I actually got hung up on a little bit. Something Paul said at the very start of this passage. The way the gospel ought to impact how we as a church interact with the people in our world. We are ambassadors. And the gospel ought to affect the kinds of ambassadors that we are. Not just in our message, but in our posture. Um, Then, um, and here's what I mean. Uh, The gospel ought to affect how we think about people. How should helpless sinners who've been transformed by grace interact with the people in the world around us? Man, the gospel, and if we're going to represent Jesus in our world, we've got to allow the gospel to transform how we think of people in our world. Um, Our perspective about people cannot remain the same if we've been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It should radically shift. Here's what Paul says, verse 16. So from now on, we regard, we think of no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once thought of, we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. The gospel should affect the way we think about People. And here's the gist of what I think this means. When we think about people, we should think um, no one is too good for the gospel and no one is beyond its reach. That's how people who've been transformed by the gospel ought to think about people in our world. No one is too good for the gospel and no one is beyond its reach. Because listen, in a worldly perspective, this is what we tend to do. Uh, We we tend to to view people, um, well, we tend to, to place values on people based on very superficial qualities. And the superficial qualities tend to affect the way we think about people. Um, Here's what I mean. Simple things like um, how attractive someone is. In our culture, man, that's one of the first things we notice. And then it's the thing we think of foremost when we look at people. How attractive they are. Um, Man, I live in a house with a couple of teenagers, and um, I miss when they were more concerned about the snacks in the pantry. But now snack means a whole other thing that we can't afford. Um, We are obsessed with beauty as a culture. The better looking you are, the better you are thought to be. And ask your kids, they'll tell you. In school, the prettier you are, the more popular you become. You may be a jerk with an IQ of a brick, but your beauty will make your life a little more enjoyable than the sweetest boy who's not considered a snack. I'm sorry. I'll stop saying that now. (laughs) Um, And Paul would say, hey, listen, for the Christian... How someone looks should never be the thing that most greatly determines how we think about them. This struck me. 
this thing, it, it had me just processing and pondering my own life and my perspective about people. The person's spiritual status, the person's spiritual standing before our holy God should be the first and at least the foremost thing I think about when I think about people. In a worldly perspective, I will prioritize how attractive you are. And that will become the first and the foremost thing I think about you. And Paul is saying the gospel should transform the way we think about people. And I'm not kidding you. If we prioritize beauty the way the culture prioritizes beauty, we will determine that certain people are too hot for Jesus. They're too hot for the gospel. He's so cute. Oh, she's so beautiful. The fact that they're going to hell apart from the transforming work of Jesus moves way down the list because the most important thing is how cute they are. But I'm telling you, their cuteness will have no bearing when they stand before a holy God. And a transformed community should make that the first thing we think about and the most important thing about a person. Like what is their spiritual standing before a holy God? It's so interesting that we would determine, like certain people, ooh, she's cute. Um, like almost like she's too good for the gospel. Like what does she need it for? And then we will never think to share the gospel with beautiful people. They're too cute for it. Almost like they're too good for the gospel. It's funny that people missed Jesus because he wasn't attractive. And that was strategic on God's behalf. A, for God to make a declaration like, I don't value what your value. B, Jesus was ordinary in that cultural context. And people missed what was most important oftentimes, according to Isaiah. Um, the gospel transformed perspective reminds us, no, okay. I acknowledge, you know, as some of my coworkers call it creation appreciation. Okay, like, well done, Lord. But what is the most important thing I think about when I think about this person? And for us, if it's not beauty, then it's, it's popularity. Um, hi, this is my friend Billy. Oh, hey, Billy. He's like a five. Um, uh, nice to meet you. All right, um, got to go, guys. See you later. Right, three hours later, you get in a conversation. Your friend tells you, hey, did you know that Billy has like 350,000 Instagram followers? <gasps> what? No. Why didn't you tell me? What did I say? Oh my gosh, what was I wearing? How did my hair look? Like, oh my goodness. Like that many, what? We are obsessed with popularity. And all of a sudden, that information changes the way I think about this person. Like they may be a five on the scale, but they are now super important on account of their social media clout and footprint. And the truth is, we, we are obsessed with celebrity. And the church moves right along with this. Um, and yet the truth is 350,000 followers have no ability to lift their sentence when they die. No one's too good for the gospel. We've become so obsessed with thinking about people the way the culture thinks about people. We no longer think about them the way God thinks about them. And so we stop being ambassadors. Because we're too busy being fans. Or shallow. Or whatever. Man, a worldly perspective will view the person who steps out of a Ferrari as better than the person who steps out of a Fiat. I think Fiats are cool, but... And yet the truth is there's no amount of money that can bail him out of his eternal sentence. That's a worldly perspective. 
And I think it's a big reason that we have just not carried out our calling as agents of transformation. We're too busy sizing people up, rating and ranking them based on these arbitrary, worldly, cultural perspectives that miss God saying, you are my mouthpiece. You are how hope gets to them. But we're too busy thinking about what they could do for me and how they make me feel because of how they look or how much... They can make my life a little bit easier. And yet beauty, money, influence, popularity, religion even, mean nothing in the presence of a holy God. They need Jesus to carry their sin or they are hosed. And I can still remember when the Lord laid on my heart to to pray for Whitney Houston. I was a teenager. And I can still remember how awkward that felt. Like, pray for a celebrity? Are you in the business of celebrities? Like, that feels weird. Like, pray that she would come to know Jesus. Like, why? That, and I remember it feeling like, like they're not people. Which is why it's so important for us to continue to come back to the gospel that reminds us we are contaminated by a disease that we cannot cure apart from the person of Jesus. Christ. No one is better than the gospel, but no one is beyond its reach either. No one has done anything or believes anything that Jesus won't carry and crush on the cross. We cannot think about people from a worldly perspective, in which case we rank people, good people, bad people, worst people, the worst. Right? And if you live in Indiana, it's good people, bad people, terrible people, socialists, you know, Um, But I do, I think this happens when we think of people by their sin issues. Especially when that sin issue is particularly unacceptable to us. See, because we all have, we have the ranking systems. And as a church, we've bought into this. Um... Certain things are just really wrong. Just wrong. I'm sorry. That's just wrong. Usually things we don't struggle with are just wrong. Sexual deviance and substance abuse and racial hatred or or violence against certain people. And before we know it, it, that is just so wrong. And we unknowingly start to buy into perspective about people that says um, their sin is a little too gross for the cross. Like they are beyond the reach of the gospel. Like some people are too good for the gospel, other people are beyond its reach. I'm not sure the cross could cover that sin. And if it could cover that sin, I don't know that Jesus would want to. And if Jesus would be willing to, I just don't think they deserve it. Which I don't know if I mentioned why it is so important that we continue to come back to the gospel in which we are reminded, oh, all this was from God. To come back to the gospel where we are reminded About our own stories. Otherwise we spend so much time disgusted by that sin. Mm. That symptom of the disease of sin is so wrong. So gross. And we spend so much of our energies trying to figure out how to create a policy around it. Or to get away from these people. These people don't belong here. Because what they do is so vile. That when we look at them. That's the thing that moves to the top of the list. And we lose sight of the fact that Jesus is in the business of trading places with terrorists and racists and fascists and meth addicts and Starbucks addicts and Netflix addicts and pimps. Come on, that's the gospel, isn't it? It's the gospel we understand when we realize, oh no. It didn't take Jesus any more blood to cover over terrorists than it did to cover over the Starbucks addict or the gossip. That is why it is so important for us to remember we had an incurable disease. 
that Jesus carried. We can never be a movement of people who look at anyone through the lenses of how on earth could they possibly do something so evil. Ugh. Because they carry a sin disease. The same sin disease we carried before God dispatched Jesus and traded places with us in the person of Jesus Christ. Wages of my gossip and the wages of their grossness is exactly the same. I deserve hell as much as they deserve hell. Jesus suffered as much for me as he did for them. I wonder if there's anyone doing something that you believe is too gross for the cross. And it would never occur to you to share the gospel with them. It would never occur to you to even pray for their salvation. Because you just want them done, locked up, destroyed, moved to a different country. That is the arrogance that the gospel transforms when we're reminded of our own state. When God came running after us. May we be quick to see people as desperately in need of the gospel. Not in need of a behavioral touch-up or a policy to fix them. I'm not saying those things should not be done. But I'm telling you, that should not be the thing we think of in this new transformed perspective. That should not be at the top of the list. They need Jesus, and I'm a mouthpiece. Matter of fact, if there is someone who just like, I cannot believe they do that, you might want to start praying like, Lord, am I the person who's maybe called to, to play a part in bringing hope to them? Where you've experienced disgust, may the Spirit transform that into an invitation, a calling to go and be a representative of Jesus. Two, them. Um, it, it, it will affect how we think about people. I wonder what matters most in your mind when you interact with people. Um, but it will also affect the way we treat people. Um, gospel will translate into my perspective, yes, but into my practicality. Uh, we won't just share the love of Jesus as his mouthpieces, but we will show the love of Jesus as his hands and his feet in the way we treat people on account of the way Jesus has treated us in the gospel. We cannot treat people the way we always have. When we think about the gospel in which God saw us when we were in a broken and spiritually bankrupt place with nothing to offer him. And God loved us so much that he refused to leave us in that place. And so he left heaven dressed in flesh in the person of Jesus Christ to come into our brokenness. By the way, not to judge us, not to condemn us, but to bring hope into those places. How? And by lifting the things that were weighing us down, carrying them on himself at great risk to his own safety. And then giving us the things that brought us joy, giving us the things that brought us relief. That should be the template for the way we treat people. This, by the way, is why we as a church put so much emphasis on the most vulnerable of populations. It's not a niche. It's the gospel. It's why we want to look at people in need the way Jesus looked at us when we were in need. And the question is not, well, what do they deserve? Mm -mm. The question is, is not whose fault is it? That's not the primary question. The question is, <laughs> what can we do? What do we have that can help bring relief? What can we do to help carry the things that are crushing and weighing them down? Um, and so here at Mission Point, if you hang out for long enough, you hear us talk a lot about adoption and foster care. And last week, last Sunday was um, Orphan Sunday. And usually we'll do it up um, because that's, that's what matters to, to us. But we thought, no, let's, let's just take a number of weeks and just talk about what it looks like for us to return to being the kinds of people 
who care about the most vulnerable of populations. Well, let's revisit the gospel and revisit who we are. But if you hang out here for long enough, you hear us talk about foster care and, and, and adoption and caring for the vulnerable um, child. Not, you know, again, because it's a hobby, but it's because we want to be people who view think of people the way God views and thinks of us and then treat them the way Jesus treated us in the cross. We want to see people in places of helplessness and places of need and places of vulnerability, places of hurt, and we want to love them so much that we refuse to leave them in the place that they are. So much that we're willing to enter into their brokenness. We're willing to enter into those difficult spaces. And help lift and carry some of the things that are weighing them down. And then bring what we have to introduce joy, to introduce relief. That's how we want to treat people on account of the way the gospel has treated us. That is the gospel full circle. We want to see kids in hurting and helpless spaces being loved by people who have room and resources. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for us. And now he's called us to be his agents of transformation. He's called us to not just share the gospel, but to show it. We exist to show and share the love of Jesus. And we want to be better at both. So again, the next number of weeks, we want to practice being agents of the gospel. Um, And so we talked last week about each of us crafting a hope note, a couple of sentences uh, to to be able to share with people as the Lord opens doors and gives us opportunity for us to share. Hey, Jesus is trading places and willing to forgive sin. And God is so graciously willing to forego sentences. We want to figure out how to better share the gospel and we only get better at it if we practice it. And so it was interesting to hear from some people say, man, I'm struggling with that. I still can't figure out like how to say it and to craft it. Like, you know, I wonder if we can ask the church and people can share maybe some of the ways that they've done it or the ways that they're sharing um, the gospel. But I'm curious, by the way, did anyone work on a hope note this past week? Um, I will judge you if you didn't, but I'm still curious to know if anyone did, struggled through it, tried to do it. Okay, man, I, okay, awesome, awesome. Did anyone have an opportunity to share the gospel with anyone this week at all? I did, it didn't go great, but I did it. Um, anyone or is the first service more spiritual? So saying, yeah, the first service is more spiritual, okay? So... This, to me, is exactly what we want to... Because think about it. We exist to show and share the love of Jesus. Do we, though? Do we really exist to do that? Or do we exist to show up on the church on Sunday and be fed, as we say it, right? So we want to talk about this because this is who we are and this is what we're called to be and we want to get better at doing it. And so we'll continue to to process this together. But we also want to show the love of Jesus, uh, meeting people in, in practical ways in their place of need. This is one of the reasons we have initiatives that we call Love Ops. And Love Ops are uh, love operations or opportunities for us to be the hands and feet in real and meaningful ways um, in the stories of people in our, um, in our world. And uh, man, we are doing an extended Love Op over the next number of weeks, an opportunity to put the gospel into practical um, practice. And um, it's, it's an initiative that we're calling Love Ed. See what we did there? It's an extended love up. Um, and man, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got to be principal for the day um, in at Leesburg Elementary School here in our school system. And man, it was eye-opening. And the Lord used that in my own life. To, to see uh, the stories of so many kids who come from so many challenging places, and then to see some of our educators who are the frontliners, who are, are serving these kids um, and playing a role in their future and their stories. And they have to be um, therapists and educators and, and counselors and, um, man, feed the kids. There's so much happening in that, in that place. And... Well, I'll let uh, one of our principals tell you. Uh, this is Amy Lunsford. She's the principal at Lincoln Elementary School. And she's going to give you guys a sense of what we want to rally around, be the hands and feet of Jesus in some of our 
um, our area school. So check this out um, as she tells you a little bit more about this. Hi, my name is Amy Lunsford, and I get the pleasure every day of being the principal at Lincoln Elementary School right here in Warsaw. And so I'm excited to just chat with you a little bit today about the opportunities that Mission Point has to reach out and be the love of Christ to our schools. As a church that cares deeply about kids and vulnerable kids especially, I just want to talk to you a little bit today about recognizing that we have a mission field right in our own backyards. We a lot of times think about how we can extend our love and our tangible support to kids that may be in um, dire situations or in other countries. And in our schools, we have an entire mission field that needs support and needs partnership. You don't go into education because you want to make big money and you don't go into education because you just want to kind of breeze through your work. It is hard. And a word that I like to use to describe it is brutal because the work that we do on a day-to-day basis is beautiful and it impacts lives, but it's hard work. And so some days it can be brutal. Uh, I think it's easy to forget about the challenges that educators face There are so many things coming through our doors today that make our job all-encompassing. And we are feeding students. We are clothing students. We are regulating the emotions of students. We are loving students as not just cheerleaders to meet their goals, but as moms and dads and aunts and uncles and grandpas and grandpas. And even sometimes loving and mentoring those very people who are raising children that aren't theirs. It's emotionally draining. You throw a pandemic on top of that, and it can be a recipe for some pretty depleted spirits. And so that's what makes this time especially just really unique in being able to pour into not just the kids, but also the staff at our schools around this community. So there are some real practical ways that we as a church can surround our educators and then in turn our students and support them on a day-to-day basis. And those range um, from you know really big things to very easy things. And so certainly the very first thing that I would just in, encourage each and every one of us to do is to spend time in prayer, whether that's once a week, dedicating that to covering our schools and our educators and our students, because we can't do this work alone and we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit covering us and equipping us to do the work that we need to do. But there are also pretty tangible ways that can be helpful, and that includes tangible items. There are always things that we need in our classrooms that unfortunately the budgets of today's education don't um, provide for us to have on hand. And so teachers are spending a lot of money out of pocket and they're happy to do so, but that's just one way of loving on an educator is to say, hey, are there things that you need in your room that I could help uh, provide for you? And likewise, sometimes those are needs that students have. They're short on school supplies, or this time of year they need hats and coats and gloves or boots when the snow comes around. Sometimes teachers just need snacks that are prepackaged to have on hand for not only snack time, but for students that come in and are hungry and need that because they don't have a full pantry to pull from on a day-to-day basis. One of the really neat ways that we could use help and are always looking for it are for adults to come spend time with students at recess. We need people that will just play with kids and have great interactions with them and encourage them or help mediate when somebody gets out in the game and they don't wanna get out because these are things that are not happening on a regular basis in a lot of kids' lives. We need to make that a teachable moment and that is so hard to do with just a few adults out on the playground and so we would love to have people say, hey, on Tuesdays, I'm gonna come to school from 11 to 12 and I'm just gonna play with kids. And then the last thing that I would say is we, we all know an educator. And so take the time to ask them, how are you doing? And when they say, oh, great, say, no, really, how are you doing? And ask them what maybe some of the weights are that they carry on a day-to-day basis. And let them know that you're praying specifically for them or send them a note of encouragement or just be someone that circles back around to them to have that conversation because Certainly in this time frame of a pandemic, we all need the accountability of balance in our lives, but educators carrying a very heavy emotional weight for the work that they do 
We need to constantly have people that are caring about us enough to say, I'm concerned about the balance that you have, or I want to make sure that you are taking care of yourself so that you can, in turn, take really great care of the kids that we're charged to love here in Warsaw. Yeah, we are so excited to be stepping into um, this space. I just realized people might think you're Amy Lunsford, but you're not. This is Kirsten Criswell. And um, man, Kirsten is stepping in to help us as a church with some of our mission initiatives and just the ways that we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. So thank you for being willing to do that. Um, Based on what Amy said, what is it that we can do to join them in making a difference and being the hands and feet of Jesus? Well, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to do exactly what she asked for. We're going to pray, we're going to supply, we're going to engage, and we're going to encourage. So specifically, we are going to start in this week with supplying our front line. We've used that language. You heard her say it. Our educators are our front line of serving the vulnerable kids in our community. So we are going to supply their classrooms for Christmas. Just on Friday, Lincoln Elementary and Leesburg Elementary educators received an email asking them to dream, to create up a wish list, specifically encouraging them to think through what would help you love on these kiddos in your classroom. Sensory needs, differentiated seating, self-care potentially for the teachers that they might want, some more inclusive materials, anything that might help them address the needs within their classroom. They submitted their, they can submit over the next couple of days, their wish list of between 100 and $150 of needs that they have. And ultimately, what we're going to do is turn that into our Love Ed wish list on Amazon that we're going to push out to you, to our church family, to step inside and help us to supply for the front line. So on Wednesday at 6 p.m., in the middle of the week, we're going to have an opportunity to gather again as a church remotely and to supply things, to hop on there. We're going to make our, li- our link live. You can hop on and um, purchase some items that will help in the classroom. Woo! Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Woo! Man, that's super cool. Um, I look forward with my teens and the young ones just to even gather around and figure out, like, man, these are some of the things that we can shop for. Not for us, but, man, to make a difference in the stories of so many of the kids in our own community. That is, that's pretty exciting. You know... And I was really thinking about this, even between services, like you're a foster mom. And uh, man, as a church, you know, I see the superhero Romans who are now home with their 25 children. Welcome Ooh. back, you guys. Um, and uh, man, the difference we want to make in the stories of, of kids, especially in crisis. But it felt like the Lord was saying, but I want you guys also to get involved because if we step into these spaces, we actually help to prevent many stories getting to that place because we as a church jumped in a little bit earlier. And so we are really thrilled um, about that. But what can people do like today, like, like right, right now, Kirsten? Okay. So right now, what you can do is set a reminder, mm. set an alarm, like get your phones out. It's usually not appropriate, but get your phones out and set an alarm. I'm not saying many of you doing it. Do it now. Write it on your hand if you have a pen, 6 p.m. on Wednesday. We're going to make a fuss about this. Yeah. At 6 p.m., you'll get an email. You'll see on Instagram and on Facebook, you will see the live link that we are going to hype so that we can try and clear that list of those items there. So set a reminder in some way for that. I also encourage you to pray, maybe even as you're walking out or you're on the drive back if you're not the driver. The list of all of the teachers um, for Leesburg and Lincoln, if you just Google it, they will pop up. Pick one, pick a grade, and cover them in prayer as they're heading into this season. Like Kondo was mentioning, these gifts that we're bringing in for them, they're not just going to help the educator, right? It's going to help an entire classroom. It's a gift that um, is maximized in, in lots and lots of ways and will be used for many years to come. As I was looking over the list that I've been receiving so far and adding them to Amazon, I was almost emotional thinking of how quickly some of these teachers got back to me with this, 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 and like how many different types of seats there are for kids who need to be able to wiggle just a little bit in their seats. I was excited that we're going to be able to do that. So what time are you setting an alarm for on Wednesday? 6 p.m., be ready. Let's look at those lists and have a lot of fun taking care of the kids in our community. Last thing, this is maybe more of a disclaimer. Um, we had some pretty quick connections to, to Lincoln and Leesburg, so we are starting there. And 
Man, this is just phase one. You're going to hear us invite you to make a difference in the stories of some of the families that are represented in some of these schools. But this is just where we feel like we are starting. We're just getting started. Just getting started. So in other words, if you're like, well, how about our school? Um, this is just a start. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how y'all do, you know. Um, but man, we definitely want to make a difference and continue to step through being the hands and feet of Jesus. And so, Father, I praise you for what Jesus has done for us in our need. I pray that you'd give each of us an opportunity this week to, to, to get better at crafting our hope notes and give us the courage to share the gospel with someone. Please, this is what you've called us to be and be about, and our city will be transformed as we don't hoard the love we've received, but as we share it. Thank you for this practical outlet that you are giving us to show and be the hands and feet of Jesus, showing his love off. So help us to step in, help us to to say yes, help us to be a part of seeing a city transformed by your love. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.